Welcome back to episode 135 of the Draft FC podcast. Welcome back to the Draft FC podcast, the podcast and website dedicated to all things official draft FPL. My name is Mitch and I'm your host for another episode in our Road to Draft Day series. I think this might be episode 10. Um, We've just done the goalkeepers and the defenders, so we're moving further up the pitch again to talk about the midfielders today. I think the midfield rankings are really where the season is won and lost this season. There is a huge batch of players that have a massive draft range from the third to the sixth round, depending on your preferences. But it's also very tough at the top. 18 of my top 30 are midfielders and seven or eight midfielders around the first round have no clear consensus except for Salah in the second spot overall. Kane's daily freefall in the ranks also doesn't help the top 10 decision making where it looks very congested. As always, if you want to see the full list of our rankings at Draft FC, including average draft positions for every player, then you need to head to draftfc.co.uk and sign up. If you don't want to sign up on a subscription basis, you can buy the pre-season pack, which will give you access to that up until draft day. So without further ado, let's get into some of the individual picks. So I'm going to skip Salah in two and third overall. So my second midfielder is Kevin De Bruyne. Now I've seen some ridiculous draft positions for De Bruyne, just some absolute um, crazy low picks. If I'm on the clock at number three, I wouldn't hesitate in taking him as my flagship signing going into the season. I think some were put off by his summer injury, but that doesn't seem to be as bad as first thought. And it looks like he'll be okay for game week one. His output over the last few years has been incredible and consistent. He had an off-season three years ago in which he got 18 attacking returns. Um, We're now into season two with Haaland, and so the chemistry should be even better there. Mahrez's departure also makes De Bruyne um, more likely to take a few more direct free kicks and also bumps him slightly higher in the uh, penalty taker ranks should a late one come along with Haaland on the bench. So an average season for De Bruyne is around 25 attacking returns, not Salah levels, of course, but with Kane gone, you'll do well to pluck those numbers from anywhere else in the first round. So down at number seven and my sixth midfielder overall is Hungmin Son. Now, I thought I was going to be slightly high on Son this year, but then uh, the more drafts I see and the more data that rolls into um, the Draft FC database, pick between picks eight and nine is about where he's valued currently, which isn't far off my spot at number seven. Kane's impending departure will cut the usual supply lines somewhat, but in the new system and the opportunity possibly to become the main man, I think that that will balance out to a decent output again this year. In at number 15 is Phil Foden. Now, we've seen a few all right years from Foden. You can call them breakout years if you want, but um, he's been in the Premier League for five, maybe six years now. Last season, he got 11 goals and seven assists, which was the highest attacking output he's logged so far. It's been hovering around that point for the last three seasons. 142 FBL points. I think this year has to be another step forward. I'd be hoping, I'd be aiming for Foden to score around 170 points this season. That's roughly where I'd be uh, valuing him at. I think he will start the majority of games. Could be more inside than wide, but if they don't bring in another right-sided attacker, he could get some game time there as well. Jack Grealish is obviously very close to him in uh, in the rankings, and rightly so. I think his minutes are far more assured than Foden's are, but I think Foden is just way more productive in terms of attacking output than Grealish's. 
Now, the next spot on my list is Diogo Jota for Liverpool. So out of the four Liverpool attackers not called Mo Salah, um, he is my leading man. I have a, a draft soft spot for Diogo, and the reason I have him ahead of the other three is that I know even when times are tough and the minutes are lean, this guy still knows how to grind out points. And the fact that the Premier League are clamping down on time wasting this year would mean that substitute appearances could now average an extra five minutes or so more which will add value to all the Liverpool attackers who are all a rotation risk. So his expected attacking returns per 90 last season was 0.65. So sort of two out of three games, you'd be expecting him to get something. In reality, that came out as seven goals and four assists from about 13 games. So it meant he overperformed on those stats. 15 goals and seven assists from double the minutes the season before shows a consistency that we should all value. So yeah, I've got him ahead of the likes of Louis Diaz, Gakpo and Darwin Nunes. Now after this spot in the draft, I've got quite a number of strikers in my overall rankings. So if we slide down a little further than that, in at number 27 is Brian Mbumo for Brentford. Now I don't think we're overvaluing him here. The absence of Tony and a lack of clear out-and-out replacement means they are going to have to rely on Mbumo for goals up until New Year. The likes of Vissa and um, Chade will all have to play their part, but it will be Mabumo carrying most of the expectation on his shoulders and will have to be their talisman. Last season, he got around 0.5 expected goal involvements per 90, which is very decent when you consider how reliant they were on Ivan Tony. A lot is also made about how many chances he misses, but actually his stats don't back up that idea. And I'd have no issue at all taking him as a mid-two and would jump at the chance to take him as a mid-three. He's one I'll keep an eye on his average draft position just to make sure we don't take him too early. In at 34 is uh, Morgan Gibbs-White. I'm a big fan of Gibbs-White. Five goals and 12 assists last year is pretty elite output for um, considering he plays for Nottingham Forest. More than gets him on the road to living up to his transfer fee. It'll be interesting to see how Forest do generally um, this summer, but it's it's reassuring that even with the struggles they had last year, that didn't stand in the way of Gibbs-White getting a very respectable 145 points. Now, I'm rating Gibbs-White this season on the assumption that he equals that tally, doesn't necessarily exceed it, but if Forrest get into a better groove and get a solid settled 11, then there is a chance that he could just nudge slightly ahead of that tally, but I think he'll do well to do that. Now, at the time of recording, this player is around 55th overall, but he's sort of creeping slowly, slowly up the ranks every time I hear about him or see him play. Uh, and that's Diaby for Villa. Been at Leverkusen for a few years, not um, a move I'd paid much attention to. Then he has just been relentless in pre-season and has featured a lot. Bailey has been inconsistent. and I think he's going to struggle to get a starting spot ahead of Diaby heading into game week one. Diaby's expected goal involvements per 90 last year were about 0.6, so just over every other game, which would be amazing if he can replicate that for Villa. Very on track with his expected output and actual output, which would give us a good way to track his potential once we see him in some proper games. A few spots below him is uh, Liverpool new signing Sabozle. Now, I'm mentioning him mainly just to state my claim to the opinion that I think he's being overdrafted. I've got him down at around 60th in my overall ranks, but he's generally going far higher than that. You'll find there are players like this in your own rankings each year, and it, all it really means is you're not going to draft him. Me putting him here means it's virtually guaranteed someone in my league will take him higher, and likely a lot higher. Um, and I would say good luck to them. He's had a decent production in the Bundesliga with an expected goal involvement around 0.5, so getting a return one in two games. I just think the way Liverpool's squad is currently shaping up 
he's going to have to be more of a midfielder than an attacker. Now, if they change shape and if they line up more 4-2-3-1, he could become interesting as a 10. But I'm also aware of McAllister having to play there too and get some game time. There's also talk that Gakpo can drop deeper and play behind the number nine. And also just um, some of the midfield options, Salah as well, um, all ahead of him clambering for goal. So I just don't know how he's going to get himself enough opportunities to become the sort of draft asset that currently sees him going um, around pick 35, according to our global data. So... Yeah, one to one to miss for me, but we'll happily let anyone else take him up there. Now, getting into the sort of clutch of midfielders below that, and we're starting to get into some more puntier picks. And the first one to highlight is uh, Enkizio for Brighton. I just like him as a player. I felt like last season um, just ended too soon for him, but I'm hopeful we can see a bit more of him from the off this year. He only played the equivalent of around nine games, got four goals and two assists, which was very, very good output. Um, there will be rotation, but I believe he will ultimately rise to the top and become the first uh, first choice. I, mean, I can honestly see him playing for an elite European team within a couple of years if he carries on. Still only 19. They've unearthed another gem and I'd be more than happy to come away with him on draft day. Just below him is Harvey Barnes. Now, if you ask me what my opinion was on Harvey Barnes, I'd probably give you a rather lacklustre response. Um, and I was quite glad the rumours of him following Madison to Spurs broke down and he ended up at Newcastle. However, I hadn't really appreciated how consistent his numbers have been over the last four years. His FBL tallies have gone 133, 126, 137, 138. So that you'll struggle to find any more consistent player than that over the last four years. Averages around 15 attacking returns each season. The only question here is where exactly he slots in. I'm slightly warmer than most on Anthony Gordon. He's obviously been there a little longer than Barnes has. And I think if one of the two was uh, was going to get a shout playing in there, um, it might be Gordon. Though Gordon could drop deeper into one of those eight roles. But again, that's a very congested part of the pitch, You know, given the way their squad's shaping up. You'd have to expect um, Tonali and Bruno Gamara's start in the three. That only leaves one more spot left. Um, and Joel Linton's been doing a really good job there. As well as the front three, the right wing would seem reasonably safely occupied by Almiron. And then you've got Wilson and Isaac to squeeze in. You know, Isaac could also play wide left. So it is going to be tough there. But um, yeah, given how consistent Barnes is, I wonder if they do actually turn to him sooner than I think. And I'll just mention Gordon briefly. Um, I'm skipping one that I was going to talk to, um, but we can always come back. So I've got him down at around 150. So he's currently being drafted approximately 50 spots lower than Harvey Barnes. So I, say, I completely understand why. There's just something that tells me it could be a real breakout year for him. They paid silly money for him last year and we've barely seen him for the Geordies. So who knows? He could be another one that ends up being a bit of a bargain if you grab him in the 14th or 15th round. But if we just rewind the rankings, um, the other player I wanted to highlight, again, quite low down the list, He's I've got him slotted in at about 130 in my overall rankings, is Dango Uatara for Bournemouth. The way Iriola sets up means he'll feature heavily, um, should really suit the style very well. He had an okay settling in season, and we can now see what he can do with some license to attack. He was second behind Solanke in terms of expected output last year for Bournemouth, and unless somebody new comes along, I'd expect that to be the same again this year. So that's it for this episode. As I said, if you want to see the full ranking, then head to draftfc.co.uk 
um, and sign up where you'll be able to get access to our brand new draft room and if you want to see what that is i'll put a link in the description below for our first youtube video in which i'm doing a little tour of what that does and how it looks if you're a fan of the podcast then make sure you're subscribed on whichever platform you're listening on if this is just the first one that you're encountering then do go back uh, and have a listen to some of the other ones we've released this summer because they'll all still be helpful if you do go and check out that video on youtube hopefully we will be bringing a lot more video content as the season goes on so do subscribe there so you don't miss out on anything and also head over to twitter or x as it's now known and give us a follow there at draft underscore fc and um, this is also probably the easiest place to reach out to us should you have any questions so that's where i'm going to leave things for the midfielders remember when you're looking at you know whether it's our rankings or somebody else's rankings um, the difference in you know saying why have you got so and so at 16 and not 17 is going to be absolutely negligible um, and if you bracket any three or four players you could probably jumble them around and um, you know trying to map what they're going to do over 38 games is well nobody knows what they're going to do so you know I think the the idea with these rankings is to try and give you rough places on the board where these players are likely to go Hopefully, if you've got, you know, if you've signed up and got access to the draft room, you can see where everyone else is drafting them. And then it just helps calibrate your own rankings. And as I said, for me, like the likes of Sabozle, if you've got a player that's well out of the mix compared to where everyone else is taking them, that's just a sign that um, it's not a player you want in your team. And that's absolutely fine. So we'll leave things there. One more to go on the positional rankings with the strikers, whichever ones we've got left. Um, and until then, stay shook. Sure.